Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. Reading is going to be from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. This is the cleansing of the temple complex. The Jewish Passover was near, so so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple complex, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that this is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews replied to him, what sign of authority will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy the sanctuary and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this sanctuary took 46 years to build and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So when he raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew, all, since he knew them all, and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. May God bless the reading of his word. As Eric read for us, This is the cleansing of the temple passage. And um, I'm still a beginner teacher, um, so I'm um, just a little baby teacher, as you um, can envision me speaking here today. Uh, When I see a chapter 2 of John, it's like, how many verses? How do I pick what to say? There's could, you know, so many teachings could be um, written on just this one passage. But then I looked at it again, and it was a clear division of Jesus, the miracle of turning water into um, wine, and then the second part was the cleansing of the temple. And when I was reading it over and over again, it was clear to me that the second um, half is what I am to teach on. And as Pastor Ellis often says, The only reason, you guys are here, you're in Baltimore, you are um, students, you work um, in Baltimore, something brought you to the city, right? And uh, with the current technology, the only reason that you are um, here versus in this church versus in any other online church you can find on YouTube or uh, maybe somewhere else you used to go to and you really like the pastor there and the worship team, etc. The only reason that you are not worshiping there this morning is that God placed you here for whatever reason. And I thank you for the obedience to follow um, his um, call to be here in our church family. And the only reason I am different, the only difference between me and any other people that you can listen to online, probably much more eloquent teachers than, than myself, is that the Lord placed you on my heart 
when I am preparing for this teaching. The Lord speaks to me about you guys, what you need to hear versus what my friends in New York need to hear or in California because they have their pastors and their leaders and their shepherds to pray over their sheep. Here, you are under our prayers. And we very much seek the Lord on your behalf and we pray for your protection. We pray for your daily lives. We pray for the Lord to speak to you and also so that the Lord speaks to us so we can then discuss the passage together. So as I go on, um, I'm out of breath. My, I think my watch is thinking that I'm working out. Um, so <laughs> I'm just going to pray and uh, we'll hope that my heart uh, rate will come back to normal levels. Um, dear Father, um, thank you for your presence, Lord God. It is undeniable, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you are patient with us. And I pray, Lord God, that as we look at this passage, as we continue in this teaching, and even through the rest of the book of John for the next 20 weeks, may you speak to us, Lord God. May you show us who you are. And may we believe you, Lord God. Now that we have revelation of you through the Holy Spirit, may we believe what you say about you. Convict us, Lord. May we leave here as different people, Lord God, than what we came and the baggage that we came with. May we just release it to you, Lord God. And speak through me, Lord God. Go before me. Anything I put here um, in my notes that is not of you, Lord God, scratch that. I trust you, um, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Okay. So this is going to be a note-taking class, so to speak. Um, take your pens or your um, notepads or whatever iPads you use for your note-taking. There's going to be a little bit more background that I am used to giving because none of us here, um, to the best of my knowledge, are, um, uh, have been raised in the Jewish culture. We do not really have an understanding. We may have read about it, but it's not ingrained in us, the understanding of what the temple is. And when Jesus is speaking about destroying the temple, we don't really understand what he's saying. We're like, oh yeah, well, he's just you know, talking about the temple because these people are selling things in it that they're not supposed to, and Jesus is angry about it. We don't really feel it because we don't know the law the way that the Jewish people knew the law back when Jesus' ministry was happening. So, um, this is the week of the Passover. Passover is one of the main three festivals in the um, um, life of a Jewish person that they had to be in Jerusalem for. They had to worship in the temple. This is the second temple of the Lord. They had to be there with the animals that they would sacrifice, and they had to be there with their families. There are other passages of scripture in John that talk about Jesus with his um, brothers and his whole family coming to the Passover in Jerusalem. So Jesus was, as a Jew, attending this Passover festival because that was the law and that was something that a Jew was supposed to be doing. So according to scholars, a gen general population of Jerusalem was about 20 to 30,000 people, like on a regular day. 
for a Passover during Jesus' life, about 150,000 to maybe 200,000 people on top of the regular population of Jerusalem came to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a tiny city. It's basically just quarters of several temples. No way these people would all fit inside of Jerusalem. So they were sleeping in tents outside of the city even. There is um, mountains. Jerusalem is located on a hill. There are mountains. And on those mountains, on those hillsides, there were tents of thousands of people. Like imagine you're bringing your whole family somewhere and you're bringing stuff for a whole week with you. So that is what we are entering into. If you're just envisioning this place, what does Jerusalem look like during this week of Passover? Every room filled. If there are hotels or inns, there's no space there anymore. Because to this point, people have been coming already from all over and bringing their whole families. The temple itself would be also very crowded. Not only the priests are there, not only the regular staff of the temple and the temple guards, as the temple was supposed to be protected as a holy place, there was also regular people that lived in Jerusalem, remember, 20 to 30,000 of people. Then there are those who are coming, traveling, and they're all going to the temple at different times of the day to pray and worship the Lord. In order to worship Yahweh, in accordance with the Jewish law, they needed kosher animals fit for sacrifice in order to be forgiven of their sins and to worship God freely. Again, many of us don't even understand what that looks like because we are given a gift today in 2023. We are given a gift of free worship So I'm giving you this context not because I want you to write it down and then boast about it that you know it. I'm giving you so you can enter into this cultural understanding for 30 minutes and stay with me. Not only did they need to bring um, animals for the sacrifice, which by the way, if you're coming from like different other towns and you've been traveling by foot or by donkeys, you cannot bring your animals for the sacrifice with you. That's insane. That's just not feasible. So people who were coming from other cities were buying the animals for the sacrifice here in Jerusalem. And not only that, but they had to um, pay the temple tax, which is why the money changers were there. The temple tax had to be paid with a specific coin, with a temple shekel. Shekel is a coin of Israel, um, even to this day. And the specific temple tax that needed to be paid Um, was a specific amount, and it had to be paid with a coin that looked a certain way. So those people who didn't have those coins coming out of different cities, they had to exchange their normal coins for this one special coin, which, by the way, was all required by the law of Moses. This was not a a human-made requirement. So as we were trying to look at, okay, what was wrong then? in the context of the scripture. Why was Jesus mad that these people, just feasibly as we are looking at it, they were kind of providing a service for the people to help them enter into worship, right? They were providing the animals that are needed to sacrifice, to be sacrificed, and then they were providing the actual temple coin. Nothing wrong with that. 
Especially those of you who might be entrepreneurs, like, oh my gosh, I see a problem, I make a solution happen, this is, this is good, let's go. There was nothing wrong with the commodities or even with buying or selling on its own. It's the way that it was done and where it was done that Jesus had a problem with. So the merchants who were selling the sheep and um, donkeys and other animals and the um, doves and money changers had set up shop inside the court of the Gentiles, inside the temple. The temple had several courts. The most holy of holies was within the middle of it, but outside there were many courts. And they, these money makers, money changers, and merchants, and money makers, um, they set up within the temple. Jesus, seeing this, and as Eric read at the end, knowing the heart of man, saw that these people were preventing the foreigners, the people who lived in Jerusalem, to freely come to the temple because it's so overcrowded that there was literally no space. And imagine the loudness of selling. Have you ever been to the market where you're trading, maybe negotiating some prices for a scarf or, I don't know, a purse, or maybe spices? Have you ever been to a market where you had to buy spices? And the coins, just imagine counting the coins and giving back to the people some change. How loud that would be when you multiply by 30,000 people, by 100,000 people, being within the court of Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem is a tiny place. It's a tiny city. There was no space left for worship of the Lord. There was no space left for examination of one's heart and for proper prayer time. All of this was just commotion happening within the temple. On top of the money, make, um, the money um, being exchanged and the temple tax being paid with a specific coin, the temple, according to some historians, also became a place where the rich people who lived in Jerusalem stored their money because it was guarded. So it became like a bank with these chests of coins, if you can imagine. Now remember, when the law was given to Moses. The temple was supposed to protect the Ark of the Covenant, which was where the Lord's presence descended upon the earth. It was not to be a bank where rich people could have their whole savings protected. And it's not definitive, but it is also believed that some of the people who were money um, changers, they were charging extra money for the foreigners, for the Gentiles who came to Jerusalem to exchange their local coins for the coin that you had to pay the te um, temple tax with. So they were really profiting from this religious business. The vendors 
were providing a useful service for worshipers, but they distracted from the real point of the temple. And by the way, Jesus was not the only person to have become upset by some of these arrangements. The family of the high priest Annas, who was known to control much of the business in these markets or bazaars, as they called them, later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, they were overthrown by the locals, by an uprising, because of the kinds of business they were running, because of the business practices. So there's probably some cheating going on in this exchanging of money and the kind of um, storage of money that was happening in the temple that, let alone Jesus, for his own reasons, was overthrowing the tables. They themselves, the people of Jerusalem, had an uprising against what was happening with these rulers. The business exchange was covered under religious doing, a traditional religious doing that was required by the law. But underneath, it was all just a cover. Religion was used as a front for greed, and the love of money was portrayed under religious activity. I'm reiterating the same point several times on purpose because I want to drive it home that not only they were doing that, but how are we now doing that as well? So we're not here to sit as, you know, judges and say, how dare they? But we are to think. Have we done something like that too? Now let's move on to the symbolism of the temple because there's some context here as well that Jesus is um, dropping truths on. From the theological perspective, for a first century Jew, the temple was at least four things, and it's on the screen for you. It's the dwelling place of God on earth. It's a unity of heaven and earth. It's the sole place of sacrificial worship, especially for special holidays like the Passover, the festival. And it's the place of sacrificial priesthood. When you read the references about the temple in both the Old Testament and the New, the way that Jesus speaks about the temple, it's very um, clear to see that he has immense respect for the temple. He never disrespects the temple. He comes to it um, annually and three times a year. In fact, even more because he was teaching at the temple. He was found once. Remember when he ran away from his parents? Um, The temple to him is something more, though, than the building. And that's what he's opening up about here. His criticism of the shady business was not even about the business itself. Because Jesus, to him, integrity, obviously, is something important. So he wasn't just complaining about the business being shady. He was driving it for justice because the temple was misused. And yet, in the same passage of scripture, he's talking about the temple being destroyed. 
How can we reconcile this? Because remember, Jesus uses his words carefully. It is not just the temple that he's talking about. You know, he's flipping the truth. It's not just the, the, the building that is being destroyed. It's my body, he says. But even when he's talking about the building, he's talking about it within the context of the law. He doesn't contradict anything that the law says about the temple. Remember, the purpose of the Gospel of John, as opposed to uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is to emphasize Jesus as the eternal Son of God. He was always the plan from the Old Testament, and he came to fulfill the law, not to deny the law. And another thing to remember is that John most likely writes this book between um, year 70 and 100. And in the year 70 is where Jerusalem was occupied by the Romans and the temple was actually probably destroyed around that time. So I wonder what John is reminded of, of the stories of, of when he was present with Jesus as one of his disciples. I wonder if John is reminded of that time when Jesus was throwing over the tables within the temple and how it's now actually destroyed. So Jesus saw all the four aspects that we talked about um, and what the temple represents to a regular Jew. And then he sees it all as being fulfilled within himself first, his own body, and his disciples and all of us that are now united in his name and in his body. The evidence in the Gospels strongly suggests that he saw his, both his physical body and the assembly of believers. That includes you and I, that includes the Jewish people locally and the Gentiles as well. We are, and he is, the dwelling place of God on earth, just like the temple is. Jesus is the foundational stone, the cornerstone, that would be the beginning of a new temple and a new creation. He's not canceling the meaning of the old temple. He's saying new authority is now here. The authority that will flow through the nations because it is the Holy Spirit, the power of God displayed differently. You won't be just worshiping in the physical temple. And then he is the sole place of sacrificial worship in the new covenant. Jesus is. And he is the new priesthood that prophets have spoken, had spoken about in the time prior to his life. Because of this, the old temple was destined to pass away and be replaced by a new temple, a greater one, not made with hands. Even today, the body of Jesus is still a temple. We don't have temples. We don't have to be here in this space to worship Jesus, to access his holy place, the holy ground in which we can face him, in which we can approach him with the biggest areas of our life, with our sin, with our um, asking him for forgiveness, with our repentance. We don't have to go miles and miles, bring donkeys and um, doves, that's the temple he's talking about. It is here. Who is Jesus to talk about the temple being destroyed? Now, see in the context, the Jews are asking for a sign. 
They're saying, what sign do you have that you do all these things? It was not contradictory that these, to the law that these Jews were asking this question. According to the law, the first century Jews understood that any changes made to the temple required divine authority as mediated through the king of Israel. They believed that only the true Messiah could actually make changes to the temple, like removing the money changers and removing the things that are happening in, in the temple per the law. Who is he, they're asking, that he is authorized to do this? And Jesus is not really answering them directly as he often did. He's just saying, destroy this temple and I will raise it up. He was answering on two levels. When you desecrate the worship of my father, he says, you are not allowing for my people to worship and pray here. You brought this business inside the temple. You are destroying this temple. You are destroying the original meaning of what this temple was built for, for true worship, prayer, and for the sacrifice. And on another level, he's saying the same materialistic deadness to spiritual reality that you're bringing to this temple and the love of money is how you're destroying, and the power, and the love of power and authority is how you're destroying the temple that is my body, he says. And then he says, in three days I will raise it up. The same two levels. I will raise up my body in the resurrection after three days. In John 10, verses 17 to 18, spoiler alert, this is like 10 chapters later, I'll lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one can take it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. He lays it down for our sin. He takes it up again. When they destroyed the temple, both his body and later the original temple, he built his body again up in three days by giving this freedom to worship him to all of us who never deserved it. No mere man could make the claim to raise himself up again. So this was one of the first audacious claims that Jesus makes about his own authority that made all the Jews and the high priests very cautious about him. It all started in the temple. Who is he to say that? Who is he to disrespect the temple this way? It took years to build it. In fact, he was not disrespecting the temple in any way. He was cleansing it from the traditional things that occupied it that had nothing to do with worship anymore and prayer anymore. John 4, 21 says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Authentic worship, he says, in other words, will not be attached to Jerusalem or to any specific place. It will be in spirit and in truth and it will be attached to Jesus. Jesus. 
at the end of the day, we can discuss all the historical context. It's just like six verses that I focused on. We can discuss all the things that we know according to these researchers, according to these historians and theologians. But what does that mean for us here? Last week, um, Crystal, my friend, and I attended a church. Um, we were traveling, and it was great context that was given. But without life application, without the so what, what does that look like in my life right now? I found myself wondering, how do we then go and apply something that we just heard this heady knowledge about, right? How do we then apply it to something? Not because we are now knowledgeable and we can pinpoint to people, oh, you do this wrong, you're, you're not even worshiping with a heart that loves the Lord and be judgmental about it because that's the same religious activity that these um, money changers are portraying. Let's introspect and let's sit and face the mirror of the gospel together because it is true, it is powerful, it is spirit-filled, not my words, but the word of God. And although we shouldn't draw one-to-one -one literal comparisons to this text, we should certainly sit in the discomfort and evaluate our own actions. And I speak from this place because I am one of the leaders of this church. I am first convicted about this. Have we made this place anything but the original design of what it's supposed to be? This space is so that, set up so that you can come and worship. You can come and bring your prayers. You can come and bring struggle, sin, past, shame to this place, to the people that you're calling brothers and sisters. And then we together pray and access the Holy of Holies that we don't need a temple for anymore? Have we promoted resources for worship to neglect the repentance and wholehearted discipleship? When we listen to worship music, it's beautiful. So many talents are showcased all over the world right now. Have we made a business out of it? for the sole purpose of making the business, not for the purpose of worship anymore. Let's examine our heart now, and you're welcome to be silent, you're welcome to be uncomfortable, you're welcome to participate in the um, asking of the Spirit to reveal things to you, even in your own heart. And I do the same here on my own behalf and on behalf of Gallery. Each of us, let's ask God to cleanse our witness, our worship, again and again, in the same way that Jesus cleansed the temple. Would you be so audacious to ask him to overturn the tables of your heart that you set up to perform religious activity? Would you ask him to sanctify your motives so that your deepest longing will be to worship him? In John 6, 
I don't know my, well, all my references are to John. Um, but there are, he says, there are some of you who do not believe. And John adds, for Jesus knew from the beginning. Remember, John is pointing that Jesus is the design from the very beginning. Jesus knew from the beginning who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. The heart of Judas was open before Jesus. Jesus was not surprised when even something as deep as Judas's betrayal came. This is a radical reference. I'm not saying that we are like Judas's. But the path starts with something little. The path starts with religious activity, with something that you are showing, that you are setting up tables for, that we are doing that for the showing that we are believers and that we have faith and that we're acting in this way. And in John 2, in this passage, as Eric read, verse 23, it says, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Many believed. Jesus should be thrilled with that. But he's not thrilled with that. Because not all activity, not activity, not all activity that looks like faith is actually faith in Jesus. Not all facilitation of such activity, like performing these acts of selling of the sheep and the doves, are actually religious activity. So, I want to just invite you to close your eyes, to bow your heads, and to sit in the way that you may never have done before, asking God, Lord, show me what it is in my heart that is religious activity. What in my heart would you overthrow even right now, Lord? How have I performed as a money changer in any way, both physically and spiritually? Where have I pointed people away from the place of worship and prayer because I was set up doing my activities instead of actually facilitating them coming to you directly, Lord? Worship team, if you could come. Dear Father, we approach your throne, Lord God, not because we are worthy, Lord God, but because you have made a way. You have chosen to make a way for us to worship you freely outside the temple courts, Lord God, outside Jerusalem, outside of even Israel, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for the way that you are facilitating, setting up, our hearts even, to be worthy enough to approach you based on your, action, based on your actions on the cross. Lord, we ask 
that you search our hearts, search the space, search our church, Lord. For any religious activity, Lord God, that does not belong in the original design of you being our temple, Lord. Convict us, Lord, now. And as we walk out of here, Lord God, don't let us run from it, Lord. We We wish to worship you in spirit and in truth. Show us what that looks like. Show us, Lord God, what that doesn't look like. Those of you who have never placed a trust in Jesus, I invite you to, to do so now. Just like the priests asked him and the surrounding Jews in the temple asked him, who are you to claim these things about the temple? Who are you to make these changes? And he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He is the ultimate authority on heaven and earth. And he and the Father are one. Nothing that he says or does is outside of the Father's will. He's the only one that was sent on earth for us to gain access to the heavenly throne because of his death and resurrection. And that means that he can come into all of your lives change it the old things he will remove the old sins, the old shame the past that we sang about in the beginning he will remove it all and he will cleanse it and he will wash it white and then the new he will introduce you to he will show you what the new way of living is and he'll do it so again and again and again because we forget that. Lord, I pray, Lord God, for my brothers and sisters who have not placed their trust in you, Lord God. May they trust you now. Holy Spirit, come. We ask, Lord God, that your presence be the worship, Lord God. Your presence, Lord God. Your sweet spirit, Lord God, may it change our hearts as we offer it to you, Lord God, as we have it in our hearts, Lord. We come as we are, Lord. We are not performing any activities. We are just coming undone before you, Lord. And we thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only he can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.